are back in Matthew chapter 5. At this point in time, we've seen the start of Jesus' ministry, the year of Jubilee, we've seen his baptism in the Jordan by John the Baptist. We're now in a stage where he's on a mountainside in the Galilee on a spring day, the grass is green. And he's sitting on the ground while all the disciples gather around him. And we have to remember here that as he speaks forth, this is not just the 11 or 12 disciples that he had. These are hundreds of them here at this point in time, maybe even thousands. But not just the, 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 the initial 12, but the, the, the rest of the people that were coming to follow him. And we looked at that earlier that, you know, we're called to be disciples of Jesus. But we're not called to be part-time disciples. You know, Peter and Andrew and James and John were part-time disciples up to a certain point until Jesus came along the beach in Galilee at the foot of the Mount of Olives in Capernaum there and he said to them, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it was at that point in time that they really gave their heart to the Lord, that they really stepped out from And that position is open to us all. We don't need to have given up jobs or whatever to be full time with the Lord. We just need to honour him in all things and in all the things that we do in our life. And so Jesus started with these Beatitudes. And we looked at them a couple of weeks ago as we started them off. The Beatitudes, I suppose, I said before, was the blessednesses. But we'll just call them the blessings just to to be short. And he started off with the blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And we looked at that, the poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit is not something that you'll get an award in this world for. The world never looks at people who who have a good idea as to who they are themselves. When Christ comes into our lives he gives us a good idea as to who we are and really when we look at it we're poor in spirit and that poor, the word poor as we looked at it already it's it's a word that really means destitute if you want to hear the rest of it you can hear it online but it's a recognition of our own hopelessness and helplessness that we need something in our lives that would change our lives how many times when I was before I was saved and sometimes even since I've been saved I've cried out to the Lord and said Lord I'm sick of the way I'm living my life I need something and really at the end of the day the second the second blessing here that comes blessed are those that mourn because when you cry out to God like that you're mourning you're mourning for your own sin you're mourning for for that part in you that requires renewal when Paul got to that place in Romans chapter 6 and he cried out, Oh God, who can rescue me from this body of death? Thank God for Jesus Christ. And that is the realisation. In the morning for our sin, we realise that Christ is the comfort for our sins. For blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. I need this bit of paper up beside me as well. And then we got to the bit where it said the meekness. Now, again, meekness today has got a different meaning for the word that was in the Greek here. Meekness is really, it's a humble or a a power used with humility. It's recognising that in you, 
God has put something that has great and wondrous power behind it. And yet, it's not because of our strength, it's because of his strength. And that's where we can be meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's a great saying. I mean, it really is. Blessed are those who can keep the power of God in their lives and be under control, be under God's control to such a degree that they can offer that power to a dying world. We are weak, but he is strong. And so, Jesus is is up a mountain here speaking to the people and gets to this stage here that the meek will inherit the earth. And the people... I mean, they've never heard anything like this in their lives before. This is, they may have read their, their Torah, they may have read their Old Testament, their, their, their law and the prophets, but they've never heard it put this way before. Because really, at the end of the day, Jesus is teaching from the Old Testament. He is making the New Covenant. He's not writing it. The other people are writing it down, and the people would be absolutely stunned. There were occasions arose when, when Jesus spoke that people said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just mesmerized with this because I don't know where he gets the authority to speak the way he does. And of course the authority comes from God. At this point in time, and I've said this before, that there would be people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders and the, the scribes and the lawyers, etc., who would be teaching the people or they didn't actually teach the people what they did was they sat around in groups and had discussions and the people sort of listened in to what was being said and gleaned out of that what they thought was meant by the law because the whole religious system at this point in time was tied up in the law and Jesus was suddenly bringing this freedom from the law the law would would not be done away with but would be fulfilled in those who would follow Christ And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, I mean, they would be arguing about things like how many parts per million of yeast had there to be in dough before it was unleavened or leavened bread. And people were writing this down in case they broke the law, in case God was angry with them. And all of a sudden, here's this guy coming and saying, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're going to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven when you recognize your poverty of spirit, when you recognize your need for something that is greater than you. You're going to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over their own sin. For they will be comforted and the comfort is in the cross. Sins are forgiven at Calvary's cross. And let me tell you this, all of them. There's none left. There's none left in the bag. The bag's empty. The sins are forgiven. It's gone. Don't go raking around in the bin of forgiven sin. Because when you pull it out and show it to God, you'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. Your sins are forgiven. And it's forgotten. Behold, I will cast them into the farthest corner of the sea. And I'll put up a sign that says, no fishing. And realizing that, we're comforted. And this strength of the Spirit comes into us as we start to minister to each other. And we start, and we will inherit the earth. The meek those who under the power of God will walk forward and proclaim him fearlessly remembering who they are they will inherit the earth and we come to this next blessing blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled you know when you've got that power of God in you that strength that that only God can bring into your life 
the next thing that you desire is for the righteousness of God that, that right standing if you want to call it that proper relationship with God blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled you know today we don't really know what hunger and thirst are well certainly in the western world we don't know what hunger and thirst are in Jesus day a working man earned about 3p a day 3 pence a day and irrespective of whether or how you juggle the, 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 the inflation rates and all the rest of it, believe me, nobody got fat on 3p a day. It was a struggle. And it still is a struggle for many today. We're going to see this film tonight, The Veil of Tears. And people are living on something like 10 pence, 15 pence a day. And working for that. And having to supply food for a family off of that. It's a, it's a, a monumental disaster. India, a country who are sending rockets to the moon and can't feed their people. There's something wrong with that. And we're in the same situation here. You know, when we ask for money for the poor of our government, when we ask for money for, for the National Health Service to be boosted and for more staff to be brought in, we're told there is none. But when we want to bomb Iraq, we've got plenty of money. It just seems back to front to me. So here we are. Today we don't know. Now, when it says hunger and thirst for righteousness, the hunger and thirsting part, they're, they're, in the Greek, I'm not going to get too involved here, but the Greek, the, the normal tense that these words would be used in is called a genitive tense, right? But here it's used as an accusative tense. Now let me tell you the difference. The genitive tense, if you had a loaf of bread, and I came to you and I said, I want a slice of bread, please. You would give me a slice of bread. <clears throat> because the genitive tense of that hungering is, is only for part of it. But the accusative tense not just doesn't just say, I want a slice of bread. I don't just want the loaf. I want the bakery. That, that's, that's what Jesus is talking about for people as they hunger and thirst after righteousness. They want it all. That desire, that strength that's in you, that God puts in you, produces that motivation to say, I just want it all, Lord. I just want it all. And do you know something? You get it all. All the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to those who are washed in the blood and born of his spirit. You have the righteousness of Christ. When you stand here, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees the righteousness of Christ that covers you. All your sin forgiven. You know, it's one of these things I always think of. If I was standing here this morning wearing a white shirt and there was a black spot on it, what would you see first? The black spot. You would never say, oh, he's wearing a white shirt. You say, oh, look at that big black spot. But when Christ looks at you, there are no black spots. We look at each other and we see black spots. That's the problem. That's what Jesus was trying to tell us here. You know, that's the problem. We've got all this power that's in us under, under God's control and we won't let him use it properly because we're too busy with blinkered eyes. We're too busy seeing the black spots to see the righteousness, to see what God is doing, to see the, the work and progress that we are as God moves us on to that. So that's the desire that should be in us. That desire to want it all. 
It should produce a flame in us that burns with intensity, a supernatural desire that's God-given by the Holy Spirit. The same applies to the word thirst. It's still in the accusative tense. It's not give me a cup of water, it's give me the whole lake. I don't just want a cup and I don't just want a bucket, I want the lot. Give me it all. And in these days, when Matthew was writing this down and and Jesus was using these words, people would be absolutely flabbergasted. I mean, here's Jesus telling people, you know, because in those days fresh water was a blessing. And still is to many people today. We don't, we take it for granted. We turn on a tap and there's a glass of water and we just drink it. Two thirds of the world's population don't have that privilege. And at this time, in Jesus' time, these people had not that privilege. They would have to take water out of the Sea of Galilee or some of the springs that were swelling up from underneath Mount Hermon and flowing into the Jordan. And it might have been alright to drink some of it, some of it they might have had to boil. Uh, many of them would have been sick through waterborne diseases. And Jesus said to them, You know, don't thirst after things that will make you sick. Thirst after righteousness. Demand it all. Require it all. Lord, just give me all that you can give me. Let me wallow in it. And you know, the wonderful thing about this blessing is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not blessed are those who have gained righteousness. It's for the triers. We'll never get that feeling that we've made it inside. Although we stand complete in Christ in a spiritual sense, we'll never get the idea that we've got no black spots until we actually cross over death's threshold. Until we get to heaven. But that's what Jesus said we should be trying for. That's the goal. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because when you hunger and thirst for righteousness... The rest of these beatitudes will start to come into your lives. The rest of the blessings will follow. When you have recognised your poverty of spirit, when you have mourned for your sin and you are comforted, when you have recognised the power of God in your life that pushes you onward to to be a, a, a strength and a light in this world, when you have hunger and thirsted after the righteousness of God and you are filled, and you know, one of the things about that word being filled is that It means to be filled, to be satisfied, but to be filled, to be emptied as well. That there's an ongoing dynamic here with God. That the more you seek after righteousness, the more there is. It's a never-ending supply. It's not something that you can just get and be finished with it. I suppose in some measure we we could substitute holiness for righteousness. Because God said of himself, be you holy for I am holy. Now who can that be? And yet that's what he's talking about here. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That imparted holiness, that imparted righteousness. It doesn't matter what you feel about yourself this morning. That's where Jesus sees you standing right at this point in time. We should get to that stage in our Christian life. That should be our desire when we want it all. They shall be filled and filled and satisfied but leaving us gasping for more. Give me more Lord. That excitement, that there's more to God than I ever thought possible.
And so we move on to the next beatitude, the next blessing. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When we recognize our own shortcoming and mourn over it, when we're filled with the power of God, when we realize what we have been forgiven for, we can show forgiveness because that's what mercy is. It's forgiveness. It's, it's not getting what you deserve. That really is what mercy is. I've told you the story before, a true story about the woman who broke through the barricades, or not the barricades, but the, the, the line of stewards, if you want to call it that, who were protecting Napoleon's parade as he paraded through a victorious general through Paris. And she broke through the cordon and she grabbed his stirrup and she said, Sir, you've sentenced my husband to death for being a traitor. And he looked at her and he said, Was he a traitor? She said, Yes, he was. He said, Well, he deserves to die. That's justice. He says, I don't want justice. I want mercy. And that's, you know, when you're guilty and you deserve it, it's merciful when people forgive you for it. And sometimes we fail to recognize that. We feel as if our pride's been hurt too much. But you know, if we've recognized that weakness, that meekness in ourselves, that strength of God, that will take us above any situation, when we're hungering and thirsting after that righteousness, when we've recognized really, I mean, when you've mourned for your sin and you've recognized really what it is God has forgiven you for. You know, for a while, in these last probably months as, as Dorian's been ill, I could say that I've been suffering from flashbacks, you know, back to times when things that I'd done, and I thought, how did I ever do that? Why did I ever do it? Some really bad stuff, you know. And, and I think, thank God, I'm rescued from that. And in some measure, I suppose it does bring you to that place of mourning for your sin, your poverty of spirit. What a, what a creep I must, people must have thought I was, really. Blessed are the merciful. We have to show mercy. The merciful one will show it to those who are weaker and poorer. The world doesn't reward this type of thing either. The world wants justice. There are very few people... When, and, and, and I don't say this lightly there are very few people when a child is murdered or a woman is raped will stand up and say just forgive them they want justice how many times do we hear mothers and fathers of, and, and rightly so that they stand up and they say you know he killed my daughter he should go to jail or he should be killed or whatever and rightly so but Jesus asks us for the different way I've given you the strength. I've given you the ability. You're hungering and thirst after righteousness. You've recognized how merciful I've been to you because we deserve to go to hell in a handcart. And Christ rescued us. Do we really understand what it is Christ has done for us? When we're unmerciful to each other, do we really understand what it is Christ has done for us? When we take offence at the slightest thing, 
when we get upset because somebody didn't phone when they should have phoned it's all petty nonsense wait till the hard things happen that's what God's preparing you for the merciful one will always look for those who are weeping and mourning people picking them out looking for people who need to be reassured that the mercy is there for them the merciful one will be forgiving to others how many times even within churches have relationships been broken because one party or the other won't be merciful the merciful one will not expect too much of each other don't look for the best in people when you're not the best yourself remember who you are remember that you're sons and daughters of God the merciful one will be compassionate to those who are outwardly sinning I've said this before you know I see things happening in this fellowship that I'm not happy about but it's not for me I'm not God it's not for me to go to somebody and say you shouldn't be doing that if they come to me and ask me if this is right or wrong I'll point them to the Bible and say well really this is what God thinks about the situation but it's not for me to go jumping feet first into people's lives but when I see the things that are wrong I try my best to set aside my own prejudice and take it to the Lord in prayer and say Lord you have to sort this or you have to give me the strength that meekness of spirit when I'm asked to any situation to speak the truth in love blessed are the merciful the merciful one will have a care for all the souls of all the men irrespective of whether they're good, bad or indifferent if you want, I've written this down here if you want mercy especially from God then we have to learn how to be merciful that word there merciful it's not just a casual word that Jesus again is using here and Matthew has written down it's a word it doesn't just mean having an empathy with people's situations and saying oh poor you and giving them a pat on the shoulder the word really means to get right inside something inside a situation in other words they used to talk about walking in the other person's shoes when somebody is coming against you and you're trying to be merciful you have to be the one who looks to them and says what is it that's causing this what's happening in their lives that they're so bitter and angry against me is it something I've done is it something that's happened to them in their life you've got to get right inside it and try and understand where the people are coming from that's, that's what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about the word merciful being able to get right inside the situation alongside the person get down in the dirt and see people's problems from their point of view and don't make knee jerk reactions to things if you're tempted to say a word and it's a wrong word then don't say it take it to the Lord in prayer and then speak I've always I've said to many people I used to say to the kids at school you know God gave you two ears and one mouth so that you could listen twice as much as you talk you know, and, and it's a good adage that because we're very quick 
We are tongues, but we are not so quick. We are ears. How many times do we listen to somebody and they're saying something to us and already we're formulating what we're going to say to them? We're not listening. We're formulating what we're going to reply, the retort we're going to give before we've actually listened to what somebody's given. And that's, that's a sign of being unmerciful. You're trying to win the argument that rather than try to win the soul. Even although they're wrong, let them be right for the sake of mercy. And then we go on and say, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It gets worse, doesn't it? The pure, the word pure, we've looked at this before in Gone John's Gospel, catharsis is the word for pure or cleanliness. In the Greek, the idea here is, Blessed are the honest and straightforward people who have a clarity in them that can be seen. And the idea that Jesus is putting forward here is the undivided heart that's open to all the things of God. The undivided heart, the heart that's totally focused on the things of God. And I don't know about you, but I can find that totally impossible at times. It has to be a work of God's Holy Spirit. <clears throat> it can't be anything to do with me, because I just don't have that. You know, we all have our ulterior motives. We all, if we want to give something, sometimes we give something for the point of view that we'll, we'll get thanked because we're given. Or we'll give something because, well, in two or three weeks' time I'll need a favour off of them, so I'll, you know, I'll make sure that I keep them sweet. I mean, how many times did I do that in business to keep guys sweet so that you could call in the favours if you want to call it that? The undivided heart says, I'm giving you this because that's what God asked me to do. We'll get to a bit later where it says when you give, your right hand should you know what your left hand's doing. That's how secret it should be. And if you ever think about that, it's almost impossible to comb your hair without two hands. Your right hand's got to know what your left hand's doing well. Sometimes. How can you tie your shoelaces without your left hand knowing what your right hand's doing? How can a man make up his tie without his right hand knowing what his left hand's doing? And yet, God says, when you give, give as if your right hand and your left hand don't know what you're doing. That's how, that's how secret it should be in the sense that it's an undivided heart. Your reward will come from God. You don't need men's rewards. You don't need men's praise. God will reward you for your goodness. For your undivided heart. And it says here, you know, that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. How shall we see God? I've written a few things down here. The pure hearted person can see God in nature. I mean, Paul talked about that in, in Romans. He says, you know, he says, you look at just the moon and the stars, and, and David spoke about it in the Psalms, the moon and the stars, and, and the great galaxies, and, and the beautiful vistas that are here on the earth. How can man deny that there is a living God? And yet, people do deny it. And the pure-hearted person can see God in the Scriptures. We read the Bible. How do we hunger and thirst after righteousness? We read. God has given us a, a book 
of his attributes and his way forward and his way to do things and it's the most bought book in the world and the least read I wish I had the copyright on the Bible I'd be making a fortune and yet there are people in this world today who don't have Bibles who can't seek after the righteousness because they've maybe only got a page they got a page of the Bible and they pass it around and what do they do? they memorise it so that when the page goes away they've still got it in here Richard Wombrand done that he remembered the scriptures he was a Romanian pastor who was put in jail by Ceausescu was it? and then the Nazis first and then Ceausescu afterwards and when he sat in his prison cell he remembered the scriptures and he wrote sermons in his head and memorised them hundreds of them and that's what kept him he was hungering and thirsting after righteousness he wanted that purity of heart to be able to really seek God and when he came out of jail eventually, I don't know a minute it was 20, 25 years or something whatever, <coughs> he wrote it all down he wrote it all down out of his memory he remembered it all because he was looking to be that man who was merciful hungering for righteousness and pure in heart and the pure in heart person can see God in his church family or in their church family start looking for Christ in people's lives and no looking for the black spots the black spots are God's job you may be able to help but don't jump in unless somebody asks you God will not even jump in unless you ask him God will not give you what you don't want if you want to hunger and thirst after righteousness he'll give you everything full bung if you want to be pure in heart he'll give you everything full bung if you want to be merciful he'll give you all but you have to start seeing people as Jesus sees them and not with the black spots and then we come to the bit that's really difficult for us blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God no this is not about those who live in peace or those who keep the peace but it's those who bring about peace peacemakers and Stuart was talking about the peace of Jerusalem the shalom this is the word that's used here blessed are the shalom makers and, and shalom just doesn't mean, mean when people in, in Israel greet you or depart from you they say shalom whether it's hello or goodbye and we sometimes think that that's the depth of it but that's not what they're saying the shalom really means I hope your life is filled with the good things of God and I hope you prosper in every way that you go and that God would constantly watch over your life and bless you. That's what they're saying to you when they say shalom. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who wish the best for everybody. Who want God to bless everybody in equal measure. That we don't hold favour. That we're not partial. We'll say, well, bless her but see her. 
And you know, it does happen to us. We come across situations. Well, certainly as a pastor over this last 25, 30 years, I've come across situations where I've found people who are, who are lightning rods for trouble. They, they just gather it like a, like a storm gathers clouds. I mean, it's just... And you have to be a peacemaker. And you have to talk them down. Literally. And it seems that no matter who they touch, that this lightning bolt goes out, you know, and, and people back off. Well, if, she's going to, if she or he is going to talk to me like that, I'm not going near them. And eventually they end up isolated. And it's left up to the poor pastor to go and try and assimilate them back into the, the fellowship again. And I don't say this lightly. But that's what being merciful is as well. It's not taking the snash seriously. If it's pointed insults or whatever, brush it off. Get down and dirty. Get into this person's life. And Why are they behaving like this? These are supposed to be Christians. These are supposed to be people who love the Lord. Why are they lightning rods for trouble? Often it's because they've got such an insecurity in themselves. They're frightened to open themselves up in case people laugh at them. They're frightened to open themselves up and tell them what's happening in people's lives in case people say, oh, don't want to know. So if you want to be a peacemaker, sometimes you have to go to war. And I don't mean war against the person because what does it tell us in the Bible? What's our battle against? It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and the principalities and the princes of darkness. These are the things that drive the ungodliness in this world. And the meekness, the ability that we develop in ourselves, or that God develops in us and that we recognize within ourselves, that we have an internal power, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and that no weapon that's fashioned against us will prosper. When we can stand against the enemy and bring that person back into the place of fellowship where they should be, then we'll become the peacemaker. And what does that make us then? A child of God. Why? Because God's a peacemaker. God died on the cross in the form of Jesus Christ to make peace between you and I and him. The ultimate in peacemaking. And that is in some measure what he expects us to do. So if you want to be sons of God, although we may be ill-treated by men, we need to be peacemakers. All of these things work together the recognition of the poverty of spirit, the mourning over sin, the strength under control that God brings into our lives, the hunger and thirsting after righteousness, the mercy that, that, that springs from that, the pureness of heart that comes out of that, brings us to a point where we can be peacemakers because we stand sure and steadfast in the rock that is Christ. And lastly, as we finish off here, if you'll give me five minutes, and I could go on talking about these blessings forever. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is speaking to a a Gentile stroke Jewish crowd here who have never known anything but servitude and hardship under the Roman boot. The Romans introduced this Pax Romana, the Roman peace. But it was far from peace. They kept it with an iron fist. I mean, there was never any problem in the Roman Empire at this time. No, really. No, not to any great extent because they came down hard on it and the people knew that. And therefore, and many people thought it was a great thing because they could travel the roads relatively safely because the Roman fortresses, the wee outposts were there and the soldiers would be there to help you and the bandits stayed away. And many people thought this was a great idea. And Jesus said to them, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. When people insult you, rejoice and be glad. Because your reward is not here in this earth. Your reward is in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets that were before you. So the result of all that we've seen before. In other words, coming to that knowledge of Jesus Christ. Coming out of that place of salvation and beyond. The poverty of spirit. The mourning for sin. The meekness. The power. The righteousness, the mercy, the pure in heart, the peacemaking, all of that combined within you leads to what? Persecution. So if you don't want to be persecuted, don't become a Christian. Because if you're truly walking in these blessings that God has given you, you will be persecuted. People will think you're strange and weird and they'll insult you. Just the same as they insulted Jesus. And it's not persecution because of our own stupidity. Or our own nonsense that we practice in the world. It's if you're persecuted for righteousness. When you stand for Jesus. And you make that stand. And you are merciful to people. When people say to you, you know. You should have slapped his face if he said that to you. Well, that's not what Jesus would have done. Jesus would have talked to him, talked him down out of the situation, would have blessed him. That's the, and people will laugh at you. See, I jumped at he's an easy mark. He never lets anything bother him. You can insult him to the nth degree, and he never lets anything bother him. I always remember a big guy who came to visit when I was working with the prison fellowship. And he was a big American with a 10 gallon hat and 6 foot 4. Big guy, I mean, a big guy. Like Big John, big 10 gallon hat. Can't even remember what his name was. But we took him into Shorts Prison, and this wee Glasgow Bochel comes up to him. Says, Is it true in the Bible it says, If I slap you in the face, you have to turn me the other cheek? And this big guy looked down at him. He says, eh, I've never actually been in that position before, he says, but I don't know how I would react, but how, how, how about we try it? <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, the wee guy walked away. <laughs> because it was nonsense. It, you know, 
he wasn't having his righteousness tested. That was just a, a, the devil throwing in a, 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 a spanner in the works, if you want to call it that. So it's not because of our own worldliness or our stupidity that we're going to be persecuted. It's because we're Christians. That's why we're, and that's why all these people around the world just now who are getting their heads chopped off and all this. It's because they're Christians. In the main, that's what's happening. You know, when it says there, rejoice and be glad, the, the word there, rejoice, actually means to leap about like a loony. That, that's really what the rejoicing means. And, 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 you know, us guys, we can do that. I was leaping about like a loony the other night when Scotland scored a goal, you know. <laughs> and yet, I don't know the last time I leaped about like a loony when I was really praising the Lord. When I was really rejoicing in the Lord, with hands in the air. I mean, we've seen it at all the football parks. We bow down in worship. The Motherwells and the Rangers, maybe the Hearts this morning. I don't know. But anyway, all right, Tom. <coughs> so the character described in these beatitudes is not to be rewarded in this world. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those that insult you. For your reward is in heaven. And what is the reward? Eternal life. A life forever with God. A life where there's no more cancers. And there's no more death. And there's no more crying. And there's no more separation. That we're with God. And we're with Jesus forever. That's the reward. That's what's coming. Now. Your reward doesn't depend upon these things. Your reward is already set up. But you know something? If you want to travel third class in this world, then just ignore the Beatitudes because you'll stumble and strain and, and, and drag your way through this world. If you want to travel first class in this world until you step over that threshold of death, here's your pattern for life. This, this is what it's going to be like in heaven. The early Christians suffered for righteousness sake. They were accused of cannibalism because of the desperate misrepresentation of the practice of the Lord's Supper. They were accused of immorality because of their deliberate misrepresentation of the weekly agape feasts that they had. They thought they were orgies. They were accused of revolutionary fanaticism because they believed that Jesus would return and there would be an apocalyptic end to history. Apocalyptic end history. They were accused of splitting families because one marriage partner or parent became a Christian, there was often a change and division in the family. They were accused of treason because they could not honour the Roman gods and participate in the worship of the Roman Empire, Emperor. Many Christians have suffered through the years. I'm just going to finish with these because suffering for righteousness is something that you might have to lay down your life for. George Roper, who was a, a, a reformer, he came to the stake, it says here, leaping for joy and hugged the stake he was to be burned at like a good friend. Dr. Taylor leapt and danced a little as he came to his execution, saying when asked how he was, he said, well, God be praised, good master sheriff, never better, for now I am almost home. I am even at my father's house. 
Lauren Saunders, who with a smiling face embraced the stake of his execution and kissed it, saying, Welcome the cross of Christ. Welcome everlasting life. Now, that's not a normal, natural thing to do. But that's what comes out of meekness, power. That's what comes out of this great upwelling of the Spirit within you, that you know that you know that Christ has you in his hand. That nothing coming into your life will ever affect you to the point where you'll be separated from him. We might never suffer that type of persecution, but will our lives be lived in line with the blessings that we've just read about? So I send you home today to read the first part of Matthew chapter 5 again. And next week I'm going to really beat you up. (laughs) No, seriously. I want to encourage you with that this morning. I know that some of you are suffering. Many of us are suffering. Read it. Meditate on it. Let God build that in you. Show you the way forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word this morning. There must have been many walked off of that hillside, Lord, shaking their head in wonderment and thinking, what on earth is this that this man's talking about? And Lord, in some measure we, we shake our head in wonder this morning, Lord. Can this be true? And yet we know it is true, Lord. Because it's only through your death and resurrection, that newness of life that's in us, that these things can happen. So Lord, be with us and keep us. Help us to be a people, Lord, who are ever ready to serve you, to seek after your righteousness, to seek after all of it, Lord. To be a people, Lord, who are merciful to one another, who seek that pureness of heart, Lord, who want to be the peacemakers and not to step away from the challenges that life brings. And when the persecution comes, Lord, help us to stand. And if nothing else, to stand firm for Christ's sake. So Lord, we ask you these things and we pray your blessing upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen.